the grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grade Cricketer Podcast on Fox Sports. The one-dayers are here. The ashes have been and gone, but the one-dayers are here. The big bash rolls on. We've got a big show this week because Steve O'Keefe is going to join us and also the CEO of My Cricket, both your best friend and your worst enemy, Andrew Walton from My Cricket, uh, celebrating a 10-year anniversary, so he's going to come on the show as well a little bit later. But I need, I need help with two... Boys, can we, get, can we get two guys on the screens? Can we get some blokes on the screens? <laughs> what Sam is Perry going on? And Dave here? Edwards join me. My name's Ian Higgins. Boys, welcome. Uh, thanks, Ian. Theatrical introduction, mm. and I like it very much. I'll tell you, uh, being here in London, which is the seventh time I've said this on this show, perhaps more, more people spoke to me about the cricket. On Monday morning, that's interesting. Uh, down at that's any time throughout the ashes. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, look. It's a big cliche for me to say that, but it is true. The emails are flying around. A lot of people are asking if uh, what I thought about the cricket over the weekend, uh, and I said I didn't. I didn't watch it, and I thought <laughs> yeah. that the cricket was over. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. No, England wasn't are good. They're good. Good one day side. Dave, still watching the cricket? Oh, I guess so. Purely for the purposes of this show, um, kind mm. of begrudgingly watching it. Um, much rather be watching other things but have been forcing myself through it <laughs> I guess it's meaningless though he goes and I say this a lot I think I said it throughout the entire Ashes series so I'm not sure what means anything to me anymore but the one day <laughs> series look it really is a bit shit that now that it's at the end of a series I just wish it was a bit you know pushed at the top of the series maybe just to get or in between it thread it between keep us interested keep us keen I think Australia's in party <laughs> mode. I think there's been a few articles going on around how we've got a bit of a hangover from cleaning up England in the ashes and that's flowing through into our performance in, in the first one day. I'm not sure if that's a thing. Um, what do you think? They're still, they're still kind of got sore heads after the circuit? Yeah, possibly. I think I think that's possibly right. And I, I just um, I used to be really excited when the one days used to come around because it was always about new kits. I like seeing the new Australian kit come out and I thought, yeah, I'm going to get it. But then I turned 11, then I stopped buying kits anymore. So, um, so it's it's that's sort of been taken away <laughs> from me. But you know, I was, I was thinking during the week, lads. I was just thinking about some of the famous ODI games over the years, and like ODIs, I think for our generation, um, you know, guys in their 30s and stuff like that. The, the one limited overs matches. They yes, limited ODIs overs fixtures. Then. Yes, no, they weren't ODIs mm-hmm. back then. Thank you for saying the right thing, because if there's one thing we know in cricket, mm-hmm. you have to say the right thing all the time. Otherwise, you'd be mm-hmm. ostracised. Um, but like I just thought about all these like great one day matches. And I just remember like the 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 yellow helmet. I used to love the yellow helmet. Yeah. You know, Michael Bevan scored a four the last one of the SCG, ripped off his yellow helmet. Look how good Mark War used to look mm. in a yellow lid. So what I'm saying is kit, mm. kit boys, ODI's a kit. Absolutely. Kits kits everything. Mm. Uh, I like I was actually at that Michael Bevan game, uh, and, but my yeah. dad took us home um, oh, with great. the rain delay uh, <laughs> at 3pm and um, I still remember leaving at age 8 and the guy saying, would you guys like a pass out? And um, me saying to dad, get a pass out. He says, no, they won't be back on. Drove home, more rain delays. He told me to go to bed because um, the game was yeah, over. Yeah. Woke up in the morning, walked into the room. Still remember it. I said, how'd it go? And he said, it was the best match uh, in the sorry. history of cricket. 
<laughs> They're going to be talking about there, it for Pez. years. Pez, I was there. So I, I was there and with my dad just to rub cool. salt into the wound. Right. There with just my dad. To, um, just, just, to, just to wrap up that story, just from my own perspective, just to get me back into the show. Um, I just, like, that was back in the days when, like, when the, when the ground, when the match was in your city, it wasn't on TV because they wanted to get people yeah. to the games. But then yeah. TV money took over the world and then they just screened everything. But, like, so but it would be like, on at 2.30. It was on from, like, 2.30 mm. to 6 and then it stopped. Yeah. So you got, like, a, yeah. you got a taste of mm. what it would be like. Yeah. So to watch the, the, the game. So the I, I listened to Michael Bevan's four as an eight-year-old or however old I was on, on the wireless at like 10.30 at night. Mm. And I was just like, that was, that was a time to be alive, wasn't it? Anyway, yeah, Kit. Yeah, well, the connect, I mean, the Cricket Australia's marketing department has um, copped a lot in the last couple of weeks, mm. but then they could do a lot worse than to reintroduce a canary helmet. <sighs> you know, how hard is it? Just, just reintroduce the canary helmet. Just put that little gold layer on or the canary layer mm. and all of a sudden what you did with the 4-0 hands thing just goes out of people's <laughs> memories. We are fickle people. Give me a canary helmet. You'll be my best friend. And while you're there, don't just give us the canary helmet. Give us the canary floppy. And it wasn't floppy either. It was oh. really hard, starched brim. Stiff. And it just yeah, makes me didn't... think of Mark Waugh getting 79 off 104 balls because that was the yeah, strike rate back then. And that was cool, exhilarating, yeah. the strike rate. Mm. Yeah, mm, Dean Jones used to bat with it as well. I think George Bailey brought it back a cut maybe last summer or, or, the, or the summer before. I remember him wearing it. But, like, just, mm. to, just to contrast that with, like, how much the Big Bash <laughs> isn't for people who like cricket, people wearing fucking flat brims on the field. Like, that, mm. oh, it's just yuck, isn't it? Like, there's all the... Mm. All the um, all the teams have, like, they're selling flat, flat brims now and that's what the players have to mm. wear out in the field. And it's just back. disgusting. Sam? Yeah, I mean, quite obviously, people should do things exactly the way we were brought up, um, seeing things. And I think old people, older people than us would say the same thing about many things. That people should, yeah. Nothing should change beyond what we grew up with and what we like and what our childhood memories were. I just wanted to ask, from an overseas standpoint, there's a few murmurs that the Big Bash seems to be uh, going a little flat this year. A lot of the faces seem the same. It's like you've watched this rerun of a TV show before. Yeah. Uh, again, we're, we're quite aren't we last year it was the greatest thing uh, yeah. since last spread yeah. and, and, and now it's a little it's a bit samey I mean is that how is that the feeling on the ground in Australia it is uh, well I think it actually was Malcolm Knox who first alerted me and probably the wider Fairfax reading public to the fact that crowd crowds were down this year they're down by 10% I think and from there we all thought you know has the bubble burst like property has the bubble burst and are we for a cooling in 2018 <laughs> and beyond not sure yet mm. but um, I think it's still as fucking everywhere as it's ever been property um, in terms of you know being on buses uh, you know sides of buses billboards everywhere ads coming out of every fucking crevice you can find it, I, I can't get away from the big bash and I'm desperately trying to yeah, well, I think I think this whole conversation that we've sort of stumbled upon just talks about scheduling, and that we're trying to find this place for ODIs at the moment. And in terms of like, so or the in Australia, the domestic competition happens before the Test series, so they, they play all the ODIs, uh, they play all the so domestic one day is in the space of like two weeks, mostly in Sydney, and then we have a series of Test matches. This time, obviously, around the Ashes, and then we. The Big Bash starts when the Ashes are still on, but no one's playing any 2020s except for them. And then 
the English test players go home so then the Big Bash people get like a new uh, new roster of players get to come in so like a whole stack of West Indians have joined the Big Bash uh, stack of English players have then played the one days like it's just it's just all over the place like do you, do you know what I mean like it's and then, mm. and then soon Australia go and play some some tw- some T twenties in New Zealand. Um, it's just really hard to like figure out this place of what Big Bash actually is because like how can you sort of get behind a team and then like you know midway through an an eighteen game sixteen game season which lasts like three weeks, your whole roster just about changes, you know? Yeah, absolutely, and not just the Big Bash. I mean, the the now that we're playing England again after all the hype and the hoopla of the Ashes. Now that it's over, we're expected to care about another series involving the same yeah. countries, but with yeah. markedly different pl- players. Like I, yes. I, I really struggle to to get up for an Australia versus England one day after the after the Test series. Mm. Really, really struggling mm. here, guys. Mm. <laughs> I just there, there is something. I, I mean, I, I I still like the idea of batsmen scoring hundreds and bowlers, you know, bowling these amazing ten over spells. Like, and and I guess so much of cricket and the interest of cricket relies on its history and like. ODI still have these amazing hit. Like how we started this conversation was Michael Bevan hitting a four off the last ball against the West Indies. You know, these are great games. Whereas like the Big Bash to me, like there are, it's always just on. It's something you can just watch and get on. But like it's hard to actually really, really get into it. I find anyway. But I mean, like I mean, Pez, what's 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 the reaction in the UK over there in terms of like they they sort of want the, a Big Bash equivalent, don't they? But I mean, we're sort of already highlighting some problems with it. And it's only you know six seven seasons in. Uh, I'm not sure everybody wants that big bash concept. Like my understanding from listening to a few people is that there's just that great divide between those who think it will threaten the very historic and prestigious county scene Mm. and those who see the future as well. I think there's a lot of respect for the big bash and I think there's a broad understanding that there's something important about a competition like the big bash in the context of cricket's future. Um, when I walk into work, it is always on. Uh, mm. You know, as soon as the competition started, it's just that it's just a great product for keeping an eye on. Mm. Uh, mm. And, I, and I, I, when I do watch it, it actually makes me think. You know, over here, it makes me think. Oh, I do miss being at home in the summer. You know, at, at night time, just being mm. able to kind of have a beer and put it on the background. Yep. But, um, yep. Yeah. As for whether it will get up here, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I did hear Ed Cowan, a great friend of the show, <laughs> uh, speaking on the BBC <laughs> the other day. Uh, and, and saying to them that he understood it might be tough in England because the weather's a little bit different. It's not it's not as palatable to go at night time because it rains a bit more, it gets a little bit cold. Mm. So I, I don't think it's a straight... Um, yeah. You know, that they need to replicate the BBL over here. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also a lot of questions about the whole tribalism element. You mm-hmm. know, you don't have cities in England in the way you do in Australia, right. so they're thinking of doing it franchise style. Like, you know, I mean, we're getting into some technicalities here, aren't we, that they want to sort of do it by northern teams and southern teams and uh, I, I, I don't, and you I also, don't know. Um, but England's one day side's good. You also don't have the project with Carrie Bickmore immediately before each each uh, match <laughs> on Channel 10 to carry those listeners, those That's viewers over. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, correct. back to the one days. I mean, England actually are a really bloody good team, aren't they? Mm, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to go see Australia and England at Edge Baston this year in the Champions Trophy match where they uh, annihilated Australia and they've kind of done it again. Uh, over here, and, it, and this is minus Ben Stokes, and I'd say Stokes' uh, absence in the one-day side is probably more pronounced than it is in the Test side as well. So good is he at the game? Um, I was just talking to you last night. He goes about this, and just saying while I fully understand that England's better than Australia one-day cricket, it still doesn't make sense to me because, like, you know, harsh and crudely stereotyping them. They're, they're you know, they're a limp-wristed nation of cricketers. How are they beating <laughs> us at a power game? You know, how, how 
are they beating us at, at, at muscularity <laughs> and crudeness? Um, and yet they are quite easily. What's what's wrong with us? Mark Wood. Um, where, where is that? What about is Mark power? Wood, though, Pez? He's, he's nippy and he caused Dave Warner some troubles. But he doesn't seem like he should be causing Dave Warner troubles. If you just look at Mark Wood, he's like a, a slender, well, well-dressed, well-kept man with good hair. Mm. Why is he bowling so quick and why mm. is he scaring our Australian batsmen? I just don't understand. Doesn't this come back to just the England cricket team being just a far superior looking cricket team? You know, like, I mean, just, mm-hmm. you know, just there's, there's some very good looking men in the English side. And I, I would include the test side as that, as, you know, Stuart brought Alistair Cook, you know, famously, whereas, you know, we've got, mm. you know, Aussie Dave Warner up the top. You know, I'm just thinking purely aesthetics. Yeah. You know, England, uh, they're really. Slim pickings with know. Australia, and we, we were lucky to get Tim Payne back in the fold, really, because. Yeah. Um, Stoyness. We, we, with, yeah, yeah, that's right. Stoyness we, as well, yeah. Without those, yeah, we're all over the shop, aren't we? We're either we've either got everything or nothing. <laughs> well, uh, I should mention I should have mentioned the top of the show as well. We're going to be speaking to Izzy Westbury in the UK, who's going to give us some Ben Stokes uh, Ben Stokes update because he obviously was charged with a fray during the week. So we're going to speak to her about that. But um, the IPL auction is coming up as well, so there's going to be some speculation about um, what that means for Ben Stokes. But the IPL is is round the corner, boys. Is there anything about the IPL which you look forward to in any way? Yes or no? Just just shortly. No, oh, like I respect it, but I haven't mm. watched a lot of it. To be fair, you know, I understand mm. it's the be- it is the best T Twenty competition for cricket for T Twenty yep. purists. There's yeah. a lot of players in that competition who do things that we don't really get to see. But I just have never mm. really felt like I've accessed it properly or mm. watched it properly. Should I watch it properly? No. It's hard, Dave, I find it hard just to watch cricket in India in general. I think it's yeah. just the graininess of the... Even though it's in HD, I think, these days, obviously. <laughs> There's just something about the telecast that is very, very foreign and frightening and non-Channel 9. Uh, I, 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 I find it difficult to access. And, and, you know, even watching test matches in India, I, I struggle with the broadcast. Maybe well, it's just me. You should definitely tell Steve O'Keefe that, who is coming up on the show in a moment's time. But um, I'm trying to find a tenuous link here between Ben Stokes and the next thing we want to talk about. But there was a story going around by friend of the show, Andrew Wu, uh, who published something in the Sydney Morning Herald today about an incident that occurred in a grade cricket match, a second grade match here against uh, Uni New South Wales and the Manly Cricket Club, actually a club that uh, Steve O'Keefe and Jackson Bird uh, both represent uh, or or have done at one time or other. Um, But the incident was uh, that uh, someone who quite high up in cricket, New South Wales was dismissed for a five-ball duck, and that and that five is important. Uh, he made a five-ball duck before um, I presume getting a send-off, although that is all allegations at these points and just and just allegedly. Um, but then he mm. the, he he hit someone in the head as he was walking off the field, and this is apparently according to Andrew Wu, this was shocked the grade cricket community. Which is funny because we haven't heard a thing about it as the grade cricketer <laughs> podcast, <laughs> the voice of grade cricketers. <laughs> Uh, inverted commas cricket really does bring out the worst in people doesn't yeah. it and I was reading about it and I've actually just seen on Twitter that the uh, the person in question has actually just stepped down from the Cricket New South Wales board while the report for this incident is ongoing so there's obviously been uh, an early casualty there we'll see if he you know what goes on with the proceedings and so forth but this bloke he's a, he's a multi-millionaire he's made a ton of money from yep. you know mm. developing derivatives trading software or some shit you know, and another thing <laughs> Why, why is he playing cricket on the with a weekend? Like when your net worth is is thirty million or so, why are you playing grade cricket alongside a bunch of young kids and desperate? Second grade at that. Mm. Has, 
and hitting Questions. people after you're out. Yeah, yeah. Like I suppose violence isn't funny. Um, to to just caveat with that, but also alleged violence, alleged, alleged violence, alleged, 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 alleged everything alleged. Um, <laughs> but like, also, I'm not surprised. I, I'm I'm surprised it's taken this long for someone just to hit someone for being sledge. You know, you just get out for a five ball duck, and someone's just allegedly set you off, and you've gone. That's it. Mm. Strike to the head. Oh, but I think it's. I don't think this is the first time this has ever happened. It's just. It's just no. high profile because the guy is supposed to be, you know, a pillar of the great cricket community and within right. cricket New South Wales. That I mean, his name is Danny Bandari. I don't think we need to hide mm. his name. It has been reported mm. that he is allegedly the person involved. Um, so uh, I love how we just I, never know when to use the alleged. word allegedly, but we just will throw <laughs> just, it in. <laughs> in the most the incongruous places as well. <laughs> Allegedly. His alleged wealth is estimated at 30 million. <laughs> Although sources say it could be 45. Um, allegedly. But I've, I've witnessed so many instances of, of verbal abuse that you think could escalate into something physical, but mm. I've never actually seen on the field someone touch anyone else, unless we're talking about the post-wicket celebration in which there's rampant touching, some of which should probably be you know forwarded to the authorities. But I've never actually seen anything... <laughs> Tipple into physical violence. Have you guys ever seen anything, or, or, or for a moment wondered whether it would? I played a sixth grade match once, which just goes to show how popular Sydney cricket was 10, 15 years ago and how bad I was uh, at the time. Metro Cup. But um, Metro Cup, exactly. You've been there, Dave. Good. It was a wet yep. wicket, and one of the one of our bowlers bowled a half tracker, and I've never seen a ball sit up more. And the opposition batsman, who was wearing glasses relevantly, uh, tried to pull it and pretty much was so was through the shot so early that he managed to almost 360 before facing the ball again, uh, that ball hit him in the glasses, shattered his glasses, um, and uh, he threw. He took his gloves off slowly, threw his bat and his gloves on the ground, and started st- like walking towards the bowler, like a sort of WWF style scene. And like the whole thing was laughable because of how slow the ball was. Like there was there was just absolutely nothing hostile about the act that preceded it. <laughs> it was like the ball has like just slipped. It was a half tracker and sat up and the guys missed it. And I think it was more the embarrassment at the shattered glasses than anything. Mm. Um, it sort of got to the like the handbag stage of punching and I was just, that's when I thought, I, I, I'm not going to play for Australia, am I? Here, <laughs> <laughs> but you played for eight more years, didn't you, Pez? Oh, yeah. Actually, can I, I just I, say, while, while we're on that, I, I did, mm. I played last night. I was lucky enough to go to the Lord's Nets here, Lord's Indoor Nets, um, where... Good name drop. I, I was, yeah, well, I was, the reason I say that is because I was informed with a couple of minutes before I left, luckily, that you can only um, be permitted to play at Lord's Nets if you wear whites. You have to wear whites in the indoor nets. And um, so I literally, you know, speaking village. of how bad I am, I literally trained with guys last night with whites and, um, and black trainers. What are Lords playing at? What are, I mean, like, tradition's one thing, but that's just fucking village. Mm. Nah. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm far be <laughs> from me to sledge the Lords uh, dress no, code. The founding fathers mm. of cricket, yeah. Mm. Fucking Lynx black sneakers and whites in the nets. <laughs> that, was, that, that was me. Like, it's full circle. I've done some good things in cricket, but really it started at sixth grade, and I think it's ended with me turning up to training in whites and black trainers. <laughs> Bez, what were you thinking? What were you thinking when you turned up and you see some bloke just wearing whites and black trainers? What can what, I say? What, what was I, the just, first I want thing? to experience it all. I want to feel it all. And I, I, <laughs> I, got to, I got to be that guy. 
that's at least two more years of more therapy. That is just yeah. atrocious. I mean, I yeah. can't believe that. Lords of all places. Gosh. Mm. Um, what are we talking about? Yeah, incidences on the field. I, I've, I've, I've very, like, very rarely seen like proper like aggression like in any sort of like coming together. There was that video went viral last year. I think it was like in the, in the Newcastle game or like a Central Coast game in mm. New South Wales where like um, the batsman like walked down to the bowler and like he did like a hip and shoulder on him. Um, and then like square leg oh, yeah. got involved and there was a whole thing. It, it went round. I, I, I might have yeah, accurately yeah. represented that. But um, I remember hearing oh, a story yeah. about a guy who, a, a dismissed batsman who went and fetched a trolley pole from somewhere around the boundary and was like threatening um, the bowler who dismissed him who was feeling a fine leg and the police were called and that guy got a two-year ban. That was that was about a year and a half, two years ago, I think. Um, um, but I, I don't think of, I've seen a batsman like demolish his stumps when he, was got it, when he was when he mm. was out. Yeah. LBW turned around, just smashed all, all three best. stumps over. Yeah. And, and then it just makes it just so much better. I love um, that. I've seen a batsman um, throw his helmet onto a concrete um, slab, which then bounced and hit the roof in a dressing room. Um, <laughs> so, but that's a blow up. But I mean, I've never yeah. actually seen fisty cuffs on the field. Nah. Not on the field as well, yeah. I mean, I've seen blokes put their fists through doors um, after getting, like, three off 18, like, just depressing, self-inflicted injuries. But nothing man-on-man. Like, it is worrying. that, and, then, and you say there might be a trend. I mean, I did see the video you, you mentioned last, just, just before he goes, and that, yeah. that was a guy just getting out. He just got bold. Like, there was nothing untoward there. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's a thing that we need to keep our eye on. Let us know if you've seen any of that. So, lads, just, just one more thing before we move on. But um, there's been a couple of instances in the Big Bash and now overnight in the Under-19 World Cup about obstructing the field. And that's been a big discussion point over the last, um, well, a couple of days, I suppose. I mean, like, so I, I don't know if you guys have seen the footage. I presume you have, or Dave, I know you have because you watched it with me before we went on air today. But um, basically, the, the one that happened overnight in the Under-19 World Cup, uh, South African batsman, um, played a ball into his pad. He like the ball was rolling back into the stumps. He stopped it with his bat, and then he the ball was dead. And then he picked it up and threw it to the West Indian keeper, who I presume is also the captain. The captain then appealed, and he was dismissed for obstructing the field. Now, also probably the the, the more um, talked about one before them was one in the Big Bash, where I think it was a Brisbane Heat player. Um, was completing a second run and he seemed to run away from the ball but the ball did hit him and then ricocheted into his stumps but he was safe uh, there was an appeal and he was also dismissed for obstructing the field lads I want to know what your thoughts are on both of these dismissals uh, I saw I have not seen the one from overnight I'm sorry I saw the BBL one and um, yep. I thought that that was a ridiculous decision and that he wasn't out. I just thought it was really mm. clear that he was he was trying to get out of the way. I think if you've played the game, you know the feeling of, <laughs> you know, if you're really committed to the game, you do try and get in the way of the ball. I understand you can't do that anymore. But if you're just a normal person like me and you're afraid of contact and always have been afraid of contact with a cricket ball, <laughs> you run away. And I think that, that, that's what he did. He was on that angle where he sort of ran away. I didn't. I, I thought mm. that the fact that I, I thought he wasn't going to be out anyway. As well, mm. uh, you know, what, what, mm. did he not um, touch the ball? I thought that the, that Wade wouldn't have taken the stumps or broken yes. the stumps. I thought common sense yes. would have dictated that he wasn't out. Uh, that in, in no way did he do something to obstruct the what would have been a dismissal. So I mm. thought that was a ridiculous decision. It was overthought. And um, uh, what's the third thing that's the most dramatic thing to say? I don't know. Fuck the BBL, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with. Uh, Pez's sentiments there on, on the obstructing the field one which was in the under 19 World Cup I did see that one mm. and it just reminded me because I used to pick the ball up for the fieldsman when I was batting because deep down you inherently want to be liked by the opposition like you want to mm. do them a favour and you hope that 
Mm. By, by doing that, you mm. know, they'll appreciate it. Maybe they're less likely to verbally mm. abuse you for the duration <laughs> of your innings. It's a first uh, mistake. But I stopped. It was a first mistake. And I stopped doing that in grade once I reached the adult grade cricket uh, arena because men, blokes, will genuinely appeal for holding the ball, obstructing the field. They'll fucking appear, appeal for anything because there's so much more desperation in grade adult cricket because grade cricketers don't care about optics. They just want to mm. get you out and they don't mm. care how that manifests itself. Um, but I guess it is concerning that you know these the, that this dismissal is happening in televised fixtures. That's obviously shit form. Mm. It's one of the That's great things about cricket. Now that I think about it, even more like you kind of enjoy the dismissal more when a batsman's contributed to his own demise, or if, or if it's a dismissal that's actually got like some morality wrapped around it as well. It's like you absolute idiot. You, you, you are actually being dismissed for trying to be moral. Don't you realise that this is Lord of the Flies? That is what cricket is. Like, don't don't touch the ball. Don't touch the ball. This is oppositional. This is how we like it. This is we get away from morality. That's why we play cricket. You know, he's it's out. Our ball. Actually, don't now, fucking I touch it. it. I haven't seen it. He's out. It's our ball. Don't fucking touch it. <laughs> fucking get touch off it. Field. Get off our field. <laughs> Don't help well, me. I'll have I don't a, want help. I'll have the last Sorry. word on this, and I just thought it was absolutely fucking disgusting from the umpires who just like you know when like a, like an umpire or referee just like gets involved in the game. Let the fucking players play, and don't like don't admit to everyone in the world that you haven't had sex in ten years because you know some obs- obscure bylaw. We just want to get involved. Oh well, technically it's out. No, it's not fucking out. It's ridiculous, ridiculous decision from the umpires. Steve O'Keefe coming yeah. up. Harry Broad, good morning. You've been reading the grade cricketer. But most of the book has taken up with proving he isn't good enough. Locker room language is rife and sexual immaturity is rampant. Having sexual relations is called burgling a chop. Uh, um, I'm very disappointed. I, I, you know, I thought this should be a, a great book. Boys, a different sort of interview at the moment, but one that I think many people who listen to The Great Cricketer across the many continents, uh, judging from the SoundCloud stats, uh, will be interested to hear. We've actually got the CEO, the Chief Executive Officer of My Cricket, uh, on the line with us to celebrate a very important anniversary. Uh, Andrew Walton joins us on The Great Cricketer podcast. Andrew, welcome. Oh, Sam, David, and thank you for having me on. Wonderful phone manner Such to commence. That just that just oozes CEO uh, Andrew. There's a lot of people who have many and varied relationships to my cricket. Uh, I suppose depend, depending upon um, their skill as players uh, and their propensity to lie. Can, can you tell us, um, you know, why why we're here? There's a, there's, a, there's a special anniversary going on, isn't there? Yes, this is actually the. 10-year anniversary of my cricket, which was our partnership, uh, commenced with Cricket Australia formally uh, in this 2007-8 season, if you like, and it's a um, it's a testament to, I suppose, the, the, the foresight of James Sullivan at the time, who's still the CEO, in being able to ride that technology wave into the digital world today, and my cricket plays a part to bind us all together, because um, yeah, it's it's grown incredibly from what initially was something we created for our own club. And, and even though I, I get the the good fortune of being able to be the public face and speak to many people, including your fine selves, yet I've really got to acknowledge my, my two partners who are brothers in, in David McCauley and Peter McCauley. They are the technical wizards who make all the magic. And um, it, it really started because at, at our club, South Area Career Club, um, 
we had a stuff up at presentation night. Um, this is back in two thousand or nineteen ninety nine two thousand, where on. <laughs> once we handed the awards out, uh, we got one of the bowling averages wrong. <laughs> and, and it was a. I think you'll probably like this. It was a a, a third grade player Always from memory. Um, yeah, and and I think one of the discrepancies was was because uh, we'd inadvertently missed one of his performances in third grade because that weekend I think he also played in the first grade on a different <laughs> uh, day. Okay, yeah, of course, yep, um, and. Uh, the the level of upsetness that's a word that was created <laughs> he um he left the club <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so so thanks to my, my my two partners Dave and Pete the technical wizards uh, they decided to make some magic uh, that would make our future presentation nights extremely accurate. (laughs) There would be be no dispute with awards that would be being handed out. And um, that went on for seven seven years where we sort of took this concept from our club and and proudly showed it around the local leagues and et cetera until about, yeah, 2007 where Cricket Australia thought uh, because by then we were doing about 40% 40 of the country independently um, as the governing body space didn't quite understand what technology still was. And uh, a fellow by the name of Damien DeBound, do you know him at all, Damien? No. Damien no. Bound. He, he, he then became the head of the A-League, the FFA. Oh, wow. Um, he was the main driver within Cricket Australia to sort of bring it to, to fruition. And uh, so my cricket was then spawned in um, 2007, 2008. And now, just to finish with, it now covers, and I'm, I'm sorry for all those crickets out there that, uh, might not like to be exposed. Um, mm. Catches a, a typical a typical Australian season is about one hundred and fifty two thousand matches mm. uh, that covers about two point six million performances today each mm. year. <laughs> wow, wealth of data. Uh, I, I mean, I you, you must um, you must be able to pick up some very interesting or non interesting patterns around cricket, Andrew, over that period of time. I mean, what would be the average batting average sixteen point eleven? Uh, it would probably be more definitely in the teenage uh, space, more than the 20s. Um, yeah, the average yeah, Australian say, batsman average and, is 10. Yeah, we actually, we, we did have a, a bit of debate early on about a, a, a introducing a weird sort of algorithm that we learnt from Bobby Simpson many years ago. Um, Go on. Bobby Simpson had a belief that to properly assess a batsman, if you take out his best performance, those cheap second innings not outs <laughs> and his worst performance, then you probably have something about where he is. <laughs> so Andrew, like this, this is, this is remarkable because like basically what you're telling us is that like all of this stemmed from one guy just having a massive blow up at awards night where he left the club. Mm. Um, I mean, this is like Bradman-esque in terms of like statistical you know, anomalies, but, um, but, but I want to know what it's like for you guys to basically have stopped all lying in grade cricket in terms of numbers. Uh, yeah, it does make some um, uh, when the rain tumbles down on a Friday night. Uh, the the, the, the uh, escape card next day can be a bit difficult. Um, uh, I know that. Look, and I'm a bit beyond this now. Yet I know there's some uh, connection about tales on the circuit about how good a player may be. 
And it's also probably made it difficult for, uh, I think in, in grade cricket, you always get your segment of players who are very happy to keep moving clubs, looking for yes. the next big opportunity. Mm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, and um, yeah. yeah, and, and uh, somehow because you've played for uh, an international team of some schoolboy sort somewhere overseas, <laughs> yeah. Might just might not just cut it with the illusion of how good you really are. You've ki- you've killed the club changer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, well, yes, we probably yes we have, and although although we've also helped to make some clubs relatively uh, infamous because of different people who might just pop in and play the occasional mm. game here and there. Mm. Uh, mm. We're, we're continually surprised by those people who have a high profile in other areas, and you can trace them back to a suburban cricket club. Um, well, it sounds like you've got some names there, Andrew. Have you got some names in front of you that, that maybe you'd like to share? <laughs> oh, he not, hadn't. Not in front of me, but I, I, I always love the story that um, when we were sort of going through the early stages of, of developing this before it became um, my cricket, probably the Cricket Australia, uh, I, I was sharing an, a, 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 share, a shared office space, very much shared, mm. um, with, with Craig Hutchinson, who's now a, a media mogul in, mm. in the world. Indeed. Got on work, Hutchie. Yet the connection back then... Many years ago, was because Hutchie played at Middle Park Cricket Club. Of course, <laughs> of course, everything comes back to suburban yeah. cricket. <laughs> oh, it, 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 it certainly does. And um, in fact, just a little—if I, if I might just go uh, uh, take the selfish route for a moment—in um, in my first game with the club, South Yarra, where this all started, way back in the in my first game there back in the nineties, when I was waiting a transfer from a different association to play in a high grade. Um, a, a, a game I played in the third 11, uh, I, I reflect back on the team list because it contained well, two remarkable people also playing that day for the club. One was John Wiley, who's now the chairman of the Australian Sports Commission and, and very um, wealthy, independent financial banker. And and we, we shared part of our innings together. And our captain was a fellow who's no longer here, God bless him. His name was Michael Shayton. And Michael... Um, was the legal counsel for Shane Warne and Mark Waugh in the Matt Dixon case. Oh, what are those stories? Uh. What are those shower stories? So every, I suppose just to finish with, every every scoreboard, every scorecard you can look back on through my cricket, there's a story there somewhere. <laughs> well, you've obviously got to, you've obviously got to introduce this as a, uh, a part of my cricket, just user submitted <laughs> stories and tales from the circuit just to kind of spice up things editorial. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. We'll look at it. I'll speak to the fair, I'll speak to the fairies who make the magic. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. It's, it's been great chatting with you. Congratulations on 10 years uh, with Cricket Australia. And it sounds like there was a lot of work that went in before that as well. So um, well done to you and your partners. And I just as a final thing, I'd say you, you've mentioned a few stories there. It sounds like there's a couple of uh, uh, dark, dark stories beneath the surface um, that we're going to have to find out another time. You're talking about investment bankers and high ranking sports officials. And you're talking about the club that Gideon Haig was at. Uh, I noticed you didn't mention the third yes. grade player who got upset. Um, so there's a, there's a dark web um, that we're going to have to interrogate another time. But that's cricket, isn't it? Uh, so uh, so thank, thanks thanks for joining us, Andrew, and well done on the 10 years. Oh, Ian, Dave and Sam, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And um, I hope the listeners are, are happy to dive a bit deeper into what my cricket can do for you. <laughs> it's a tagline. See you, Andrew. Thank you, guys. I don't play cricket for results. 
take wickets, score runs, or win games. I play cricket to look good. Rigs, chests, pipes, circuits, salads. This is my domain. So when I hit the sheds, I need to radiate success. That's why I use Chop King Cologne by TGC. With a blend of the finest handcrafted English willow and Kookaburra Red King leather, Chop King Cologne lets me radiate cricket. Whatever the ground, whatever the circuit. Chop King Cologne. The new fragrance for men by TGC. Reek of runs without hitting them. He goes, I'm going to go out on a limb and say something controversial here. The person we've got on the line, uh, who you've already introduced, so it doesn't really matter anyway, it's no surprise, was probably my favourite mm. journalist uh, writer conversation throughout this series. And it was certainly the one that garnered mm. the most reaction and conversation. Uh, I'm talking about mm-hmm. Izzy Westbury um, from mm. the UK over here, who was particularly bullish about England's chances in the Ashes before the series <laughs> commenced. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all right. uh, we, we, she has graciously decided to rejoin the TGC podcast. Izzy, welcome back. Um, yeah, I don't know if welcome's the right word. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, uh, there, there was there was a good tete-a-tete beforehand uh, before the series started, and admittedly, you wiped the floor with me, and to a lesser extent, those other guys. Um, there's nothing about revenge. <laughs> In this phone call, we just like talking to you. You, you put words together very well. So, I mean, yeah, can yeah. I can I ask in the most neutral way possible, and hopefully you don't see this or react defensively to it? What do you think <laughs> of the Ashes result of four nil to Australia? I think hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, I think we needed to get <laughs> as much one-upmanship as we possibly could off the pitch because it sure as hell wasn't going to happen on it. <laughs> and also. Can I just uh, caveat that with, I'm pretty sure I signed off by saying, I'm sure you're going to smash us anyway. So, you know, I was just hedging my bets, yeah. hedging my bets. And, well, who was it? It was that, the Olympic founder, was it Pierre de Coubertin, mm. who, uh, who said that it's the, it's the taking part that counts, not the winning. And I feel as though we've just reverted to the, the natural Englishness. And so I've got nothing wrong with that. We, we're winners all round. Uh, no, very, well, at, very least much so. at least you're winning the one-day series, and we actually smashed us being the Australian cricket team because Sam and I are involved in it mm. somehow. But, mm. I mean, us. your one-day side looks bloody strong and, and likely going to beat us, I think, this series. Is that fair to say? Well, didn't you guys know that since we took on Trevor Bayliss, we don't actually play test cricket anymore? We play white ball. So I think that's where we should start off with. Okay. Uh, one of the um, chief reasons we wanted to speak to you as well is, is that obviously you have a few geysers um, on top of being one of the great uh, cricket voices in the UK, uh, one of the great broadcasters, and also um, do a lot of writing as well. You are a legal mind, um, and the news of Ben Stokes being charged with a fray uh, has reached the Australian shores, um, although the reaction to it hasn't been anywhere near as fevered as it would have been when the test series was on, which basically just means we were scared of him. Uh, we can admit that now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. c- can you explain to uh, us lay people what it all means? 
Yeah, it's quite interesting, actually, because normally something happens, an incident, I don't know, a Ducket incident, everyone goes a bit crazy and starts talking about and speculating about what happened or what didn't. But it's slightly different with Ben Stokes because of, I guess, the extent of it. Um, and obviously now he's just been charged, um, which very much brings it into a, a legal limelight in that um, the proceedings are active. And those, that word active kind of strikes fear in the heart of most journalists. And you won't have seen much comment about it because... There is this horrible thing, well, not horrible, it's a very worthwhile thing, I'm sure, but for journalists, it's called <laughs> contempt of court. And the moment you just start discussing something that could ha prejudice the outcome, even if it is some, you know, strange niche podcast from a land far, far away, <laughs> you could get in trouble. You could get in trouble. That's the first thing. <laughs> Not, not, that was just a hypothetical, of course. Yeah, I understand. Um, you know, this is the centre stage. Um, so everyone's kind of tiptoeing around it, which is absolutely right. Um, but he has been charged, so things are progressing, I guess. Um, and the ECB have convened. They've just said that they would. I don't think anything has come out of that. Um, but the, what we can discuss is, is the fact, I guess, that it's um, what he's been charged with, which is um, a fray which is slightly um, unusual. I think a lot of people, having seen the footage, thought that he might be charged with something else, which was an offence um, against a person, like um, um, actual bodily harm or, or something more. Um, again, just based on what has been seen, he's been charged with a fray, which is um, a public order offence, so it's more about kind of disturbing the public peace. Um, and it, it's interesting because normally a fray is, a charge that comes alongside an offence against the person. So you'd be charged with, say, actual bodily harm and a fray or something else and a fray, but actually it's just come to stand alone and it's him and three other people that have been charged with it, um, which, which makes, um, which sounds as though basically there's not enough evidence to have been charged with a public, um, with an offence against the person. And that's basically just looking at it from a completely objective legal point of view, uh, not commenting, of course, on the, um, the actual facts of the case. Um, it, it's probably better for the individual concerned. Uh, on the flip side, um, it's easier, that the threshold is easier to get a conviction for a fray, again, from a completely pure theoretical legal point of view. Mm -hmm. So um, read into that what you will. It's very English, very legal, very dry in many respects if it hadn't happened to, to um, a very famous sportsman. But it makes those, you know, those of us that quite... You know, law and cricket, I tell you what, it's, 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 um, it's intertwined. There's a lot of case law. English law is all built on sort of you know, historical law. And, of course, cricket is a huge part of English life. So you find lots of cases involving people hitting cricket balls into back gardens mm. and how many times that constitutes negligence or not. It's, um, it's a wonderful thing if you're into that. <laughs> I believe it was uh, the Donahue case um, off the top of my head. Um, anyway, I'm just uh, sorry, I was just thinking out loud. Um, <laughs> just, um, I mean, the most fascinating thing is about this now is that there's there's no court date set just yet. I'm right in thinking. So, um, so the IPL auction is coming up at the end of the month, and then the IPL starts in February. And I believe, if reports are correct, that the ECB are a little bit split as to what to do because it doesn't seem right that he would be playing county cricket or playing cricket in the IPL and not playing for England. So, I mean, how do you see the next sort of few weeks panning out until we hear about when this actual court date is going to be? Again, this is sort of fabulous from a legal perspective because in, the, in a way the ECB have, have kind of scuppered themselves in setting a precedent in saying you can't play for England 
but there's nothing stopping you playing club cricket um, or domestic cricket, which he's done. He's gone to New Zealand. So that mm. set a precedent to, to show that he can go and play abroad. And just because it's a different country, um, is there a reason that he shouldn't be able to play in the IPL? Going back to the law, the fact that he's been charged, there's nothing to stop him from leaving the country unless there's been something attached to that charge that hasn't, as far as I'm aware. So it's completely down to the ECB, whether they feel as though this is a change in circumstances, the fact that he has been charged. Uh, but from a legal perspective, absolutely, off you go. Um, he can do whatever he likes in terms of, uh, you know, it's not as though um, <laughs> the police won't know where he is. <laughs> mm. Mm. Is he too, um, uh, that's a wonderful legal explanation as well. And, you know, who's to say that this strange niche podcast doesn't have range of conversations? Uh, just <laughs> but um, can you give us, a, just, just back to pure cricket matters, can you give us a bit of a sense of the, of the tone or the feeling in England post the Ashes result? Again, I try and ask this without tongue in cheek. What's, what is the, the, you know, how are people reflecting? Uh, on on the result, um, what, what's the what's the sense? Honestly, I, I genuinely think it's just a reversion to the norm. Um, I think when it was that Melbourne Test match, when it was just getting really quite dire, I ended up um, reading. Perhaps actually, you know, I reckon these guys are the great cricketers' natural predecessors. But the Captain Scott Invitation Eleven, you might you might have heard of it. They're a sort of um, they're a roaming um, club side. Uh, from back in England, and a couple of those guys wrote books about, about cricket, about sort of village cricket. They're called Rain Men and uh, Penguins Dot Play. I ended up reading them again, and there's a wonderful passage from one of them um, uh, in which it basically just talks about the, the bleakness of the, the English midwinter and how we're, we're, we've lost one test series, we're about to go and lose another, the hope's still there, that's the thing that kills you, um, why don't we all go and hibernate? <laughs> and, and then also, the, what was so sort of timely was, and yes, we're going to discuss the whole county cricket is guilty and um, is, is the reason for this all. And this is how, you know, you think that we're, we're, what we say and what we comment in the media or what we're doing as cricketers is all innovative and different. It's not. It's been happening again and again since the beginning of time. And unfortunately, as an English sports fan, um, us taking part um, but not winning is, mm. has been happening since the beginning of time, especially mm. in sports in which we've invented. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like that perspective. But, you know, with that said, is he... 2019. I mean, you guys are already looking forward to that, surely. And uh, what, what are you predicting there? <laughs> Predictions are a dangerous thing. <laughs> I I, you know what? We were supposed to win the Champions Trophy um, last last year. That was kind of our build-up to 2019. Oh, white ball cricket is amazing. Mm. Um, but are we going to win a World Cup? God, we're more South Africans than the Sappers, really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Izzy, once again, pure entertainment, um, wiping the floor with us as usual. Thank you very much for the uh, the legal mind on what's happening with Ben Stokes. Now we understand what a fray is. Uh, I was, you know, immaturely tempted to just start discussing it, but um, but your wisdom has kind of stopped me from doing that. Uh, th- thanks for being a great participant and listening to us as well uh, on both times you've been on this show. Thanks for joining us this series. It's a pleasure, and I think I, I honestly mean it's a pleasure. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what. Like, I can't be serious about anything anymore. I don't even know what what sincerity is. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the judge. <laughs> that's good. That's a good sign off. That's good. It can be hard to leave grade cricket. 
The relentless nudity, champing and macho horseplay can have a debilitating, lasting effect. Hi, darling. How was your day? Yeah, not bad, bud. Can you please stop calling me bud? So when you do call time on your eight-year, barely memorable career, you need all the help you can get. That's why we started the Grade Cricket Rehabilitation Centre. Using state-of-the-art cognitive behavioural therapy, the Grade Cricket Rehabilitation Centre will help you reintegrate back into normal society just like your family wanted. Hello, darling. How was your day? Good, good, thanks. And, And how was yours? It was wonderful. You're coming along so well. Yeah, cheers, champ. Oh, wait, wait. Thank you very much. I appreciate your help. The Grade Cricket Rehabilitation Centre. There is a way out of this. All right, here goes. The bloke we've got on put together what I believe uh, to be the performance of 2017 in the test arena, Mm. possibly for years before that as well. He, uh, beyond that, because it is always about numbers, everyone's defined by their Mm. numbers, he goes, as as you well know and as the listeners well know, 250 first-class wickets, a nice even number there at 24.63 to the second decimal place, a test best (laughs) of six for 35, but he did it twice. In the same game, uh, and a match best for tw- of twelve for seventy. Uh, I personally thought he was a better batsman growing up uh, than he was a bowler, um, but we'll talk mm-hmm. about that and get his own views on that. Of course, I'm talking. Uh, he goes about Steve O'Keefe. Steve, welcome to the Grey Cricketer. Thank you, boy, for having me. I'm just glad you didn't recite my one-day numbers in there because uh, if you flick them round, my bowling and my batting averages, they're not too bad. So I'm glad you've gone for the lesser evil of the two. Uh, I do appreciate that. Don't, 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 don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, no, Steve, we, we always uh, – no, I'll call you Sock, actually, just to pretend that there, there's, you know, some sort of mateship going on here. Sock. Um you know, we, we, we always start the same way. Like, what's your what's your relationship to grade cricket, mate? I uh, I started out west, as you, as you probably know, with the Hawks. Um, I moved from Melbourne to Sydney, and Mum was like, "This kid's got no friends. Let's pick a sport with at least ten plus, where he might actually learn some social skills." Uh, little, little did I know that I'd pay out in dividends in both aspects of my life. But, um, uh, yeah, played cricket, mate. Grew up in the Hawkesbury. Moved to Manly uh, for the last sort of seven or eight years of my great career. But um, it was a good transition. And, mate, I've, I've benefited largely from, from both clubs, I think. So I've gone from as west as you could possibly get to the, the smell of the ocean breeze on a Saturday when you're none for 300 getting pasted uh, around the park. So... <laughs> So how have you found, I mean, obviously you're at Manly now, how have you found that sort of transition of being, um, you know, an internationally capped player uh, at a grade club <laughs> as opposed to when you were at the Hawks, you were, you know, obviously just a nobody like the rest of us? <laughs> what kit do you wear? <laughs> Mate, I, 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 was, <laughs> I was a big fish in a little pond at Hawkesbury. I, you know, it was, a, it was a big move to go there, but I hadn't actually played before I got to, got to Manly. So Manly, of course, right. claimed... Um, you know his development about you know mm. yeah that, that's ex- that's exactly right and to be honest I used to hate Manly you know Manly used to be the sort of club that would you know clap for clap leaves you know a nick mm. through third slip you'd hear the yeah. roar underneath that dish up there yeah. and I used to think mm. what yeah. a bunch of um, such and suches but mm. you know I've been around Fuck the club there because it's the insular peninsula <laughs> they're a great bunch of guys I've enjoyed it that's why I've stayed there for so long. 
Um, but I'm thinking in the back end of my career, maybe go back to Hawkesbury as the heralded cricketer uh, in the back end. Maybe try and sweep a few clubs for a bit of cash. Um, you know, get out maybe of the hawk, see what they've got left for a specialist. Yeah, but, yeah, that's right. Captain coach of third grade um, and really just wring them dry. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, because you played Test cricket, and you know that's how they did it at the top. It's kind of like Rooney, Rooney going back to Everton as a, sort of the heralded son. I like it, uh, and I also like what you say about yeah. Manly as well. They're a good bunch of blokes once you get to know them. That's just the classic uh, in cricket. So there was a great article. I don't know who was written by um, interviewing you at the start of last year. You were talk. It's just I just want to wind it all the way back to uh, your under tens era, but. Um, a great article about you actually getting turned down from the first club you tried to go to when you were nine with your mum. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, we. Uh, as I said, I moved to moved to Sydney, and uh, mum's like, "You got to play cricket." Obviously, not being from the area, mum went to the, the closest club, which was the Richmond uh, Servicemen's Club. Um, went in there and said, "Look, you know, I've got this scrawny little ten-year-old, um, you know, or eight-year-old. He wants to play a bit of cricket." And they said, "Look, we're." We can't, we can't accept him. Last year we won the under-10s and, you know, we don't find any spot in the team for him, you know. What does he do? That was the first question. Oh, we're not looking for a bloke who can't hit the pitch or hit it off the square. Um, the irony was I went to another place called North Richmond who were a little bit more accepting. And to be fair, the Richmond Club was a – the Exerson's Club was an outstanding team. Undefeated the whole way through. Uh, we met him in the final and – um, we won. I'd like to think I got us home with 19 off 73 prunes. Um, <laughs> but we ended up winning. And that was my only underage, only underage win as a player. We, we went through the next six years and kept losing to a, you know, we thought we were then the, the shit odd team. And then Pitt Town, which was another team in, in junior cricket who probably weren't as good, would beat them all year, come to finals, and they'd knock us over. Shane Mott used to play for them and, Moddy. It reminds me of it every time I see him, I think. Yeah, Motti, he just uh, left arm in swingers. Uh, he used to blow pads off for fun. And when parents were umpiring and he got hit on the pad and you were the, the top team, it was time to go. So it was, uh, yeah, it, it was tough, but, you know, memorable. Harden me up. Harden mm. me up. Mm. So have you always bowled your finger spin and sort of battled a little bit? I mean, we've spoken to a number of guys, international players, over the past couple of years, and they've sort of, like Brad Hogg, for instance, used to bat and bowl medium pace, and he used to, he just like one day just rolled out some leg spin, then he played for Australia. Like, did you discover finger spin late, or were you always just doing the doorknobs, you know, batting a bit? What was what was your craft as a youngster? Yeah, it was more. It was definitely more batting. Um, and then I used to I used to bowl left arm quicks, uh, and then we had a had a year of um, Shane Cook, who was our left arm opening bowler for Hawkesbury. He got injured, did his ankle playing a bit of rugby, I think, at the time, and they said, oh, do you want to take the new ball? Um, I sort of gave it a crack for probably about under-13s, and I realised, you know, it's a bit like Dougie Bollinger, and I'd sort of swing my first two back in with the new ball. <laughs> then it would just, you know, at, at four foot two at that height, I was like, I'm really not troubling anyone else. I may as well keep in swinging them, but just a bit slower and from around the wicket off a shorter run. Um, and that's what sort of set me up, just left arm in swing. So some people would argue I still bowl the same stuff as what mm. I did in under 12s, but um, the batting's certainly falling away. Just to stay with junior cricket, uh, Sock, just a personal observation. Um, we grew up in the same age group uh, in, you know, what would later become known as Sydney Test Cricket. So it was a Sydney underage cricket. And my observations were as a, you know, 
a middle-class product from a private school playing for Gordon in the leafy suburbs. Um, it was always very scary to go out to Hawkesbury to play against your mob. Uh, it was a first realisation that there were people who were far better at cricket than you and far more committed to cricket than you. And um, I always felt like you were the leader of that pack. You know, you always had, like, a very good side. <laughs> I think you, your team got us out um, for for 30 once, uh, all out for 30. And... Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you remember that I got you out twice? Fat leg spinner? <laughs> like, do you remember me or anything? I was good. I, I, like the, I like some of my best junior memories. I like to just wipe them out and, and remember the good times. However, I did remember from the Hawkesbury, we would generally turn up to the grounds, you know, with a with a flimsy umbrella, park out, roll out the, uh, the plastic chair, sit under it as a family group. You always knew you were playing someone from... Uh, you know, a little bit closer to the city when you'd have a look at their marquee-sized tents and uh, banquet-sized <laughs> food that the players would be coming up for for food. It sort of put our life of where we were at into perspective um, with our team. But uh, uh, to answer your question, no, I don't remember. It's gone from my mind. Oh, damn it. <laughs> but Sam will never forget, so don't take that away from me. So I want to ask you, I mean, should we, I, we should probably bring this to your professional days as much as listeners love hearing about um, you guys talking about the under-10s. Um, I mean, you must have found it extremely difficult. I mean, did you ever think you were going to play for Australia, I think is my question, because you had a number of seasons where you were leading the – I think you took 42 wickets one season, averaging, you know, 25 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and – you're always you're sort of dominating the first class circuit, but did you ever think you're going to get that chance to, to play for Australia? I um, you know, I think leaving my leaving my career till a bit later uh, in regards to playing for Australia, I think it's prolonged my career. I think the fact that they didn't pick me for five years, there was always that bloke around New South Wales cricket was like, oh, you know, he's doing well, he could get a chance. So I was always like, well, you know, what if, if people above me keep thinking that I'm on the way up still. I could maybe drag this career out for another two or three years or four years, as long as guys like you know can keep thinking like that. I think deep down inside me, I knew there were better guys ahead of me that deserved to be playing. Um, and you know, if I got an opportunity, like at New South Wales cricket, we had some great spinners. I just had to try and make it make it work for me. Unfortunately, my first test, um, my first test came in Dubai. Um, you know, you get your hat presented to you and everything is, you know, you're feeling really good about yourself. And then, of course, we have the toss, uh, lose the toss. It's in Dubai on these slopes, about 58 degrees. And I'm thinking there's a, there's a reason <laughs> there's a reason why I've uh, maybe not played. I was thinking this, this looks really tough. Uh, we, got flogged inside, we got flogged inside three days, mind you. And I thought, well, you know what, at least I've got it. The, the cap still looks brand new. So mm-hmm. there's... You know, if I ever get to a lonely moment inside the house, I can still put a good-looking cap on in front of the mirror and uh, think, <laughs> think of what may have been. Um, unfortunately, look, I've had a, I've had a few crack. But, you know, I got dropped after that. They played Farwood Armour the next year, who took 50 wickets, mm. understanding that the team wants a leggy. You know, I, I enjoyed my cricket and worked hard at it and always wanted to keep playing for Australia. And, you know, fortunately... I, I had my eye on the Indian series for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the opportunity came and I had a lot of fun. And, you know, if that's the end of it, I played nine tests. Um, you know, I'll go around telling blokes I should have played 39. But, you know, I've played my nine and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited that cricket gave me that opportunity. Mm. For sure, Steve. Uh, we'll get to that um, amazing performance in Pune in a second. I, I was keen to, I mean, here goes, has kind of touched on it, you've touched on it here. You, you seem to be close to the setup for quite a while, um, whereupon you would, you'd 
be leapfrogged by the people. Um, and the, mm. it's, a, it's a tough culture trying to be it's it's tough being a spin bowler in australia um probably because of shane warne also because of a lot of other cultural fact cultural factors as well i mean how do you find it trying to force your way into that side i mean uh, you know personally speaking it seems to me you had to overachieve with results more than the next person um i don't know if you would agree with that but if you do you know why why do you think that's the case why did you sort of have to do more than the next person it just seemed like at the time i just felt like you know they were I remember I played an Australian A game against England, bowled really well. I got four for, it was a trial game before an Ashes series, got four for and I got 80 against the Poms and it was pretty much their full strength team. Um, and I thought, this is my big chance to get it. And they went with another guy, Doherty, who had a lot more experience. So I sort of, I've always been able to justify to myself why they've gone another way, which has kept me hungry. So I'm like, well, it's not because I'm not good enough, it's because I, you know, Xavier at the time, was playing one-day cricket for Australia, a little bit more experienced and played a lot more cricket and was bowling well at the time. You know, then we had Michael Beer. You know, they said, oh, he's a lot taller. I think the natural thing about him is he he's going to be able to perform better at test level. And I eventually had a conversation and said, well, why am I not getting picked? And they uh, the, the general feedback I got was his best ball, they believed at the time his best ball wasn't good enough to knock over test cricketers. Um so then I thought, well, it's all about perception. So I just had to perceive. So I'd have meetings with Inverarity, and he'd go, you know, what do you think you've changed? I said, oh, mate, I'm beating both sides of the bat. Um, I'm also, I've also got some heel raises in my foot, so I reckon I'm six inches taller than last year. <laughs> um, you know, I've played another 20 games. Mate, you've got to be looking at this stuff. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> Little did he know I'd be knocking over 9, 10, and 11 in each innings of both teams, uh, <laughs> bowling lob-ups. And, uh, none for 83 for 80. Oh, that's a good day. Jeez, you look like he bowled well there. <laughs> mate, do you have um, – uh, what's, what's sort of your relationship with, with John Holland? I mean, a lot of, a lot of people around Australia, you know, see him as someone who has been a little bit unlucky but I mean no more so than I think when when you were at a similar stage in, in your career like do you have any sympathy for, for sort of him um, you know doing quite well but but not really getting a crack I mean what's what's your relationship with with uh, with Dutchie uh, yeah look absolutely I, I grew up with Dutchie I, I went to the academy that was the first time I met him when I was in under okay. 23s um, and spent a year with him room with him actually and even at that stage you know I looked at him and I'm like shit this guy is like twice the bowler than I than I am at this stage. He, he would play, and the ball just left his hand as good as any left-arm finger spinner I'd seen. Um, you know, he's a beautiful bowler. And, yeah, his, his numbers over the past two seasons have been outstanding. So do I sympathise with him? Absolutely. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a top cricketer. And, again, he's probably asking the same questions that I did. You know, why am mm. I not getting picked mm. um, through it? Because he he's, we played him the last round of the Shield cricket and on a pretty flat wicket. You know, he he took five for in the first innings, was threatening consistently, and no, so I do. And 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 do I believe he's good enough? Absolutely. I think he probably got a bit of a raw deal going to Sri Lanka when he did. I don't think he was on the radar. I think I went down. Ashton Agar had hurt his shoulder, and then the duck John Holland was you know probably enjoying an off season, and then gets a phone call to come up and play. Um, and I know for a fact in those tours, when you go to the subcontinent, you need a lot of preparation. And mm. um, unfortunately for him, he didn't have it. But look, you know, it's, it's up to. I guess the question now is up to him. Does he still want to play Test cricket? Because I, I still think his best ball is is as good as anyone's in the world. So, you know, I, I I enjoy seeing him do well. I enjoy seeing other guys do well, and I know that he's good enough to play. So, you know, whether selectors and that agree will be another question. But mm. I think 
the feedback that I'm getting from up top is that they're looking at younger guys and, um, you know, they're quality bowlers as well, the likes of Agar and Swepson. So uh, I guess it's a good problem for them to have. Mm. So it must be strange for, for you reflecting on 2017, you know, the year that's just gone by. But, you know, because on the one hand, you've you've won you've almost almost single handedly. I know it wasn't single handedly, but you know, you've won a test in India. You've put up arguably the performance of the season with your 12 for 70. I mean, I literally remember where I was when my phone reception came back, um, and uh, and I saw that you'd taken those uh, those figures. There was an, you know, there's injury, there's a recall to the Aussie side, there's a pretty widely publicised off-field indiscretion to go along with it. I mean, like, how do you reflect up, mm. upon your year? Absolutely. I mean, that, um, you know, that, that sort of game, I, I still have mates who talk about it now. They're like, yeah, a lot of guys who don't even follow me, they're like, who is this bloke and how is this just, <laughs> how is this just <laughs> 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 going off? And it was, yeah, I mean, it was, and that's literally how it felt out there as well. I'm like, I can't believe I'm out here and this has happened. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd stuffed up admittedly when I'd come back from Sri Lanka. I felt like I put in a lot of hard work and time into that series. Um, yeah, did my hamstring, probably sprinting after a ball. I shouldn't have sprinted after. Um, and then come back and just felt sorry for myself. Um, sort of locked myself away in the house and thought, literally, this is it. You'll never get another crack. You've worked at this for so long. Um, and certainly not creating excuses for how I behaved, but certainly reasons for what I did. Went out, got too drunk, and, you know, the rest was the rest was publicised. Um, I sort of knew at that time. Rod Marsh gave me a stern talking to, and for the next sort of six to eight months, I thought, if I've got one crack, it's the, it's the test series in India. Um, I'm going to have to buy well for the next four months for New South Wales, which means I'm going to have to make some off-field sacrifices, which I did. Um, I gave up a bit of big bash cricket so I could play and um, you know, just trained as hard as I could. And I had a lot of belief. And uh, you know, one of the, the big catalyst for that was Steve Smith, who, who gave me a lot of, showed me a lot of faith. Played me in Sydney before we went away. We had a great training camp in Dubai, and I just thought, well, this is this is your one moment. This is going to be your four games where you can make yourself. If you win this series, you might get an extended career, and that was my hope. And then after one nil, after just absolutely destroying them, I thought, this test cricket is that easy. I'm going to walk out of here with 40 wickets at 15. I'm going to be one of the great. I did, I did get a little bit ahead of myself, I must say. At 12 for 70, I'm like, I didn't even bowl that well. I'm boarding at V-Rat and Pujara, these greats of the game, going, you guys have got no idea. You don't know what's coming. I don't know if I'm spinning them. How are you meant to know if I'm going to spin the next one? <laughs> um, uh, of, course it's, uh, of course, it's sort of... Well, it didn't go downhill from there, but I think, uh, you know, they're so hard to beat at home. Um, and there are a couple of really long days in the field, and, and that sort of stuff really wears you down as a cricketer. But... Um, as I said, it's the most, you know, I feel like, you know, since I was eight to that point, that was my moment to play. And I'm thankful I got that opportunity to play. And, um, you know, as you said, Steve Smith did hit 100 in that game. There were guys who bowled beautifully. Mitch Stark knocked over V-Rap. But I'd like to think I won us that game. That was all. <laughs> that was all me. So, <laughs> undoubtedly. <Yeah. laughs> the, key to, the key to that wicket, which I said to guys, was like, Guys, this, this wicket's ragging. I said, you've just picked the best non-spinning specialist on a spinning <laughs> wicket to knock these guys over. Yeah. And I think out of 12 wickets, I had 11 LBWs. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll um, take it. Mate, that was absolutely phenomenal. Before we get into the throwdown section, which I'm looking forward to, Sock, um, 
Mm. There's a lot of cricketers out there who probably also um, would consider themselves non-spinning spinners. You know, <laughs> do you have any advice or inspiration for them? For those listening out there, if you're a non-spinning spinner, you know what does um, what does the king of that art, as I disrespectfully say, um, you know, have to say to them? <laughs> Deal with a, a long time of uh, maybe ten to fifteen years of depression. Um, have a good support group <laughs> around you. A good psychologist, I think, would be my first tip. Um, don't believe the hype. But one person who says that the ball might be spinning, grab it, uh, repeat that phrase, and throw that pounce uh, like a football uh, amongst your teammates. Um, Savour the good moments. And any ball that does happen from left arm around the wicket to escape between back pads, say it was deliberate. It was seam up and went in there. It was a deliberate arm ball. You'd be picking him up with three wider that spun a foot. Um, yeah, look, it's it's a hard art. And in Australia, it's tough. Everyone says, oh, Sydney spins them like it's a buddy. It's a green top, you know. It's, 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 it's tough getting around the Australian circuit. Um, another bit of advice, if you get a game in the whacker, um, you know, that's when the calf starts playing up generally. <laughs> um, but pick, it, pick and choose your battles. If you get a game at a club ground, you know, you need to be all over the club grounds because you know they're going to be underprepared and you're playing four <laughs> days on the Munlike grade cricket. Um, but I do genuinely believe, and I, I say this in spin meetings when I meet young spinners, I'm like, I genuinely believe that grade cricket is the toughest cricket you'll play um, trying to be a spinner. I said, because you're... If the wicket's green and seeming, it's all about the quicks. If the quicks don't get them, you get to bowl to two blokes who are in on a green wicket, so you're going to get slogged. Mm. Um, and generally, even if the wicket is a bit slow, they still bowl the quicks. Mm. Um, and then you have to bowl at the back end, and you've only got one day on this wicket. And in the last 20 overs, even a number eight can come out and just pulverise you to all parts, even if it is doing a little bit. So I'm like, you'll learn your best craft playing a lot of great cricket and... Um, for me, I played my first first class game at 20, second game at 25. I had five years of playing it, and I, I really think that's what put me um, up to the challenge of playing first class cricket. Mm. So, like, I want, there I you want to ask... that, Are you editing this? I hope you are, because I, I feel like I'm just rabbiting. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Bits of gold in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I want to I want to ask you about this idea of natural variation and it's something that like Ravi Jadeja obviously <laughs> does well but like so can you what it sounds like you're going to say yes to this but like <laughs> can you confirm that like you don't know which ones spin and which ones don't because like I'm watching like the super slow-mo super zoomed in vision and they look exactly the same ball to me but one spins and one doesn't mate it's an app yeah that is that is one of the again this is what I'm talking about when you get these little glimpses or little nuggets you've got to hold on to them and you've got to you've got to take them you know natural when i get a bloke at a natural variation there is no way i think i think some spinners like ashwin when you can see this change in the seam yeah. that they will you know they'll deliberately try and get one to slide there's no way on his class and can be able to do that for me it's the same ball maybe a little bit quicker a little bit slower um and yeah i i'm absolutely guessing if it's going to spin or not that's me I think other guys who are probably better at the art will have a, a more of a cagey answer to it. But I, yeah, I genuinely believe it's it's a it's a crock of uh, bull bull dust. But um, yeah, I think I've spent my whole career sending down natural variations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking of the ball specifically that that you bowled Coley with um, as part of your twelfer. Uh, I think I think that was in the first innings where he just left it. And it just slid on like that. Just must have been the pinnacle of your career, and possibly even your life oh, at that point. Hmm. 
Uh, yeah, I did. And if you slow that, I, that must have pitched a foot out. I reckon it's hit a crack and gone the other way. That's how much. Mm. That's how unnatural my natural selection is. Mm. You know, general bloke's natural. You know, natural variation off the wicket will slide and miss off stump. Mine's that bad that it just goes on like a left arm in swinger. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 you know, at that time in that game, we were all yeah. over them. Mm. Um, you know, that same ball, two balls early, I think, spun and ragged. Um, you know, hate the class of the guy, you know, probably expecting to do the same thing. And I think the condition of the wicket just showed how tough it was to bat on. Um, but, yeah, and I think I ran through, I got that wicket, I ran, I ran all the way up to the, I think it was all the way up to the Indian dugout, and I'm just, as I said, I'm like, we're winning this 4-0. We are winning this 4 I think I started chanting 4-0, 4-0. <laughs> I'm going to be a test grade. Um, is that... I was sort of saying, is that your best? Is that is that? Are you not entertained? <laughs> oh well, we all be on the front front of Fox Sports tomorrow. Uh, so, <laughs> how okay? Yeah, great. Well, hopefully, for, yeah. for, for semi good reasons, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's time for throwdowns, sock. Uh, let's let's see how we go. It, we'll start it soft as usual. Um, okay, first question, uh, Steve. What's it like to try and uh, achieve a dream of bowling spin for Australia amid relentless sledging from Shane Warne? Right, you know who I feel for most about that is my mum. Like my mum is like, I don't think my mum realised how bad my spin was until she listened to Shane Warne talk about it. <laughs> so that's been the hardest thing: is family Christmas. I can deal with it. I know how bad I am. But when I go home and tell my family how good I am, and then you get the best in the art telling them how bad I am, I'm like, oh, this is real. I can't. He's right. <laughs> this is really hard to deal with. So um, I've just told mum to mute it down and maybe put the radio on if I do ever play any games of cricket and he's commentating. That's how I've dealt with it. Just ignore it. Push it to the back of the brain, and maybe in 30 years it might come up with some sort of repressed memory. <laughs> Well, um, just on that theme, Sock, uh, I'm just wondering why Ashton Agar, John Holland, Xavier Doherty, yourself, uh, and uh, Michael Beer as well have all played for Australia. Um, so I want to know why Daniel Vittori has inspired more spinners than Shane Warne in Australia. <laughs> why Daniel Vittori is not inspired? Oh, I, you know, good question. I, um, I, I've, I've still got video, VHS footage of Daniel Vittori bowling spin, so... Of course, we all love the King Bowling, but Dan Vittori was um, Dan Vittori was, was my pin-up boy as a left-arm finger spinner. Mm. I mean, he had he spun the ball. He was six foot seven, had nothing that I had, but um, I admired the way that he did. It was I mean, always in a New Zealand team that wasn't as good as anyone in the world, but he, you know, he always he always took the game on and was, you know, I've, I've watched him bowl. Got to meet him when I was in the IPL, uh, playing mm-hmm. for Kochi, not playing for Kochi. At a young age, I was over there for 16 games, didn't play a single one. My contract was 20 grand, the team folded. I got paid four grand and my room bill was seven. So I'm the only bloke to ever come back from the IPL having to pay money uh, to go there. <laughs> but I did, I, I settled that dispute in my mind going, I got to meet the likes of Dan Vittori and have chats with him and Laura Litherin. So yeah. it was a paid education. But yeah, he was he, he was my hero. Sock, um, I'm just going to quote a report. Uh, about you from a couple of years ago when you were recalled to the Australian side. I think you mentioned playing in Sydney at the start of last year. 
Um, it's from Chris Barrett in the SMH. Uh, he says, over time there, so I'm taking you back to 2017, over time there have been a range of reasons available on the rumour mill. He just bowls darts, some said. He's too chippy was another explanation thrown out there. Yet another was a personality clash with an influential figure in the Australian setup. The clash was very much true, but it being a reason for him being overlooked was only ever a theory. Whether his cause was further harmed too by his occasional bucking of the old school maxim that you don't question selectors is unknown too. Um, so anyway, my question <laughs> is, uh, Sock, what's Michael Clark like as a bloke? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer. Oh, no, no, I, uh, you know what? As When I played my first test, he was my captain, um, and he, 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 you know, so I, he would have been a selector on that tour, picking that team to go there. So, I, you know, in, in effect, I, I do own my first baggy green, and... Um, when I didn't play the second, so I was in for one test, out for the next. I think even most blokes generally get two cracks or two rolls of the dice, but they saw what they saw after one test, didn't like it, obviously. Um, but he, he did send me a nice message after two, uh, after the second test saying, mate, keep working hard at your game. There's more test cricket in you, if you believe it. Um, and you, you, I thought you did really well in the first one. So, you know, look, I... As I said, I think I think when I was a young cricketer, I just I just don't think guys thought my best ball was good enough, you know. And a part of me sort of agreed with it that I had to get better and work harder at it. Um, and I think the fact that I played older rather than younger meant that I had more time to learn the game. So, mm. and of course, in cricket circles, you're going to get stories, and there's going to be runnings, and there's going to be you know a bit of niggle. I sledge my own teammates in the net, so I guess I'm probably maybe not even a well liked player amongst um, <laughs> my peers. Um, but I just like to say, well, practice how you play, boys. This is this is how I play. So, um, good answer. But yeah, mate, I, uh, answered that all right. That's yeah. Good. Mm. Um, Sock, what do they serve for tea in India? <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know. I didn't eat it. I used to just pack Mars bars and the Pringles for the mini bar. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could take the boy out of Hawkesbury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mars bars, mate. Uh, I, I do, but the the, the the alarming thing about that is I do exactly the same thing for a shield game in Sydney, so it's, it's no different. Um, <laughs> it's a, pro, a protein bar, I call it. Sock, um, <laughs> you once lived with Steve Smith in the eastern suburbs. Uh, I'm not really sure of, of, my, of what my question is here, but can you just pro- profile him domestically, <laughs> like his room, his, his washing up, um, dinner contributions? With, like, was it unorthodox? Well. Yeah, there's a lot of fidgeting around trying to do a set of dishes. It might take him an hour and a half to wash one dish with the amount of fidgeting that went on. Um, what I will say is this. The guy was a you know fringe one-day player, played probably eight, seven or eight tests. The moment, the single moment that I moved out, I think he started averaging 75. So I'm not one for drawing parallels between my influence on his cricket career and me moving out and living in that house, but I, I, I'd like to think he's uh, he certainly moved up in the world. But um, yeah, no, he's great to live with. He was he was you know he was young when I lived with him. He found the love of his life, Danny, who now he's engaged with. Um, didn't actually tell me to move out, but I sort of got the hint when they were uh, staying over, having his and her meals and stuff. That I maybe felt a little bit out of place, so I, I got out of there and. Um, you know, the rest is history. We did believe with another great cricketer, actually, Daniel Roots, played at Mossman, ah. a talented offie. Okay. Um, you know, we all stayed pretty close. You know, we're all, we're all decent friends. Uh, so there was three of us, but we both realised it was time to go. And, uh, 
Uh, yeah, the rest is history. Some might say it was a great move, Brian, to get to flick it. He first, the first time I was dropped by Steve Smith was out of his house many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gritty teeth. Uh, Sokka, it's well known that Ravi Jadeja wouldn't play fourth grade anywhere outside India. Um, so I just want to know, was your 12 an absolute offering of his craft on his own turf? Um. I did mention it to him, and I think I was uttering the same words to Yassir Shah. I, I come in on the back of a test series against Pakistan at the SCG, where Yassir, Yassir Shah, I think, had the figures of two for 700. Now, I, I love the guy. I love watching him bowl, and he's you know, average is 20. And I'm saying to him, mid-off, um, you know, as we're right on top of them, pulverising them in the third game where they're already defeated, I'm saying, mate, you wouldn't play second grade at Hawkesbury. And he, he's sort of turning around with a grin on his face, so Dave, you want to come up to him and goes, mate, he doesn't, he doesn't understand what you're saying, mate. Right? <laughs> <laughs> completely wasted ammunition. Uh, but the same sort of uh, the same sort of banter was going on uh, with Jadeja. Whenever he on a spinning deck that was spinning sideways in Ranchi, he was hitting me out of the footmarks for mm. six over my head. Yeah, you might have heard me saying you, you, the same sort of lines. You would be playing. Third grade for Hawkesbury, mate. Um, he, he played some unbelievable cricket shot with a with a dog chewed ball and hitting at thirty five rows back. Um, yeah. I think resilience is one of my strong points. Uh, well, it's funny you say that, Sock. Actually, um, we'll wrap up the throwdowns there. Is there a little boy inside you that has half an eye? on the 2019 Ashes in England. You talk about how hard it is bowling uh, your craft in Australia. I'm sure, you know, your craft is very well supported over here on these wickets. Uh, is, you know, is there, is there anything in your mind about whether, you know, there might be another comeback on the cards? Um, yeah, my eye is on 29 Ashes, but it's it's generally looking up Ticketek and seeing how much the prices are <laughs> on to maybe come over and visit you over there, mate, and... Uh, sit in the members and maybe uh, have a couple of orders and discuss how good I could have been out there on that wicket or what I would have done. Oh, mate, I'll keep playing as long as I can and as long as I'm good enough. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not expecting to go, but you know, if it happens, it happens. Uh, very good. So, th- <laughs> <laughs> mate, thanks, um, thanks so much for joining. I think uh, it's very endearing self-deprecation. Um, not, you know, not to forget that you did take 12 for an India and you've played you know, nine test matches and taken 251st class wickets. Um, you can definitely play the code. Uh, thanks for coming on. <laughs> I do appreciate that. that. Those throwdowns do sound like club throwdowns too in the net where you're the, the senior bloke and you just ask for six and you get 506. I think it sounds like those throwdowns went on for a bit longer than expected. But, uh, right. I appreciate your time, guys. Uh, thank you for the uh, the hard-hitting questions and uh, I look forward to listening to myself whenever this is released. <laughs> oh, man, it's me every week. Thanks, mate. <laughs> That was the voice of Steve O'Keefe. Before then, Andrew Walton from My Cricket, And then before then, Izzy Westbury live from the UK. Although, of course, this is a recording and that wasn't live at all. Um, Dave had to, uh, had to leave us, uh, unfortunately, so that's why his voice disappeared from the rest of the show. But Sam Perry um, did join me for the rest of the show. My name's Ian Higgins. And I just want to say that this is the penultimate show of the summer, well, of the season, I think, so far. We'll do one more show next week. And then we'll have one eye on a South Africa series towards the end of the summer um, if there is more interest in this show, which realistically I think there probably is going to be. But um, So we, there's, there's no time to ask TJC this week as their pairs. I think we've, um, we, we went over time on the Steve O'Keefe interview. I thought he was fucking great um, as an aside. No need to swear there, just, just 
didn't have an adjective in mind, so I just decided to swear. Um, thanks, as ever, Sam Perry, for producing this show week in, week out. Thanks for all those questions that did come that we didn't get around to this week. Keep sending them in. One more show next week. Hashtag RCGC. Slide into our DMs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You know the deal. We'll see you next week for one more time. <laughs>